This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to House of Champions. Welcome back, everyone. The international break it is over at long last. So we're dusting off the cobwebs on Europe's top five leagues to talk title races, European places and relegation dog scraps. Plus, we look ahead to some of this weekend's tastiest fixtures as Thomas, Thomas Tuchel takes charge in time for De Classica and Napoli and Milan kickstart. A 17-day trilogy of head-to-heads. I am joined by Jonathan Johnson, Mike LaHood and Nigel Riococa. What a crowd we've got in for you. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe. We want to hear from you. So much we'll be talking about today. If you're listening on that podcast, make sure you're downloading, following. Leave us those five-star reviews. We're a five-star product. We deserve a five-star review. And look, you know, however it is you're consuming this content, let your friends know about it. I mean, we, Mike, you were telling us, weren't you, uh, over the weekend you ran into a uh, House of <laughs> <Yeah>. Champions. <laughs> yeah. Mike, who was their favourite on the uh, on the? Oh, gosh. I, I knew I shouldn't have mentioned this ever, but I was playing pickup at just the local park down the street here in San Antonio, Texas, and this young lad comes up to me, and he goes, oh, my gosh, I'm a big fan of House of Champions. And I'm like, ah, oh, of course you are. And he goes, um, man, you know, could you say hello to one of my – favorite contributors i'm thinking okay surely he's gonna say me maybe jonathan <laughs> johnson i know okay that's real coker he enjoyed and he goes james bench and i go wait what and he goes yeah james bench is the best so of course had to take a picture and send it to the group and say bench met one of your fans i mean like you've met all two of them now. um <laughs> we've got a cultured urbane sophisticated audience and that's no wonder when we have such a cultured urbane and sophisticated panel nigel and jj welcome along as well but we're going to dive straight into it because time is of the essence and i need to be able to keep track of when and where we are and we're going to start with the big league the best league in europe right now in terms of drama i would contend some may disagree with me that is seria I mean, admittedly, there is not much drama at the top of the table when Napoli are 12 points from glory. They're going to do it, aren't they, Nigel Rio Coca? But I think what's most intriguing for me 
is how this next 17 days plays out because we've got the Serie A clash between Napoli and AC Milan, which really is a game that's much more important for AC Milan. And then those two big Champions League clashes in the quarterfinals. So, um, Nigel, I know you love waxing lyrical about Napoli, so take it away. What can I say? Um, I think just from common sense perspective, they're going to be focused on the Champions League. I think they know now that Serie A is pretty much theirs. But the worrying thing is, again, is you don't want any injuries to really occur to most of their starting lineup, the top players that they've got. And then again, the worry comes into it because we've had this argument before about would you make changes and what it's like. And I can only speak from my experience as a player. When you're in that rhythm, when you've got that momentum, that belief, that confidence, the best thing you can do is keep playing. As much as there is injury risks, you can't think about injuries. You've got to keep the momentum and the rhythm going because if you get taken out, there's no guarantee you're just going to go back and continue from where you're left off. And you don't want to disrupt a good thing when it's going. So I think that's one of the, the biggest worries for me. And I think um, Napoli will definitely win Serie A. I think that's their biggest focus. I think that's something that means the most to their fan base, you know, because what is it? How many years is it, James? About what, 29 years or so? 29 or 30 years? Look, I'm too young to know. That's the I think it's truth. around that anyway. That's good, that's good math, but, yeah. But um, yeah, I think that they should win it. And But I do believe that they're really enjoying their Champions League run. And I think that they believe that they can make the Champions League final. I think it's going to be a great season for them. And for me, what I've seen of Napoli, I think they can do both. I think for me, they're one of the most entertaining footballing teams in Europe in Europe right now. And I feel that the style of the play that they have, the approach, if they continue in that same vein, that they've, they've got a great chance of not just winning Serie A, but also making the Champions League final. I mean, I think as well, what is going to be really interesting, certainly from the Napoli perspective in the next uh, 17 days or so, uh, is the fact that drawing, uh, you know, an Italian opponent in the Champions League adds an extra bit of needle. I mean, not only are they sort of a known quantity, so Napoli can't sort of debate, you know, potentially trying to rotate some players, uh, you know, sort of going into that. There's that expectation that they don't lose any of those games because they don't want to be knocked out of the Champions League by a fellow Italian side, but equally they don't want to sort of allow that glimmer of hope to be extended to to some of the the title rivals who'd love to try and, uh, you know, whittle that gap down, uh, you know, towards the end of the, the season. So, uh, you know, I think for Napoli as well, it is going to be a really sort of tricky 17 days. And of course, you know, they're coming into it with really, really uh, good momentum at this moment in time. And you would fancy them, uh, you know, both in the Serie A clash and the Champions League one. But equally, uh, you know, that Champions League tie is a huge opportunity for Milan, uh, you know, they're probably going to accept that they will be beaten to the Serie A title regardless of whether or not they win against Napoli uh, in the league. But they have that opportunity to really strike a, a hammer blow to Napoli's hopes of, uh, you know, having this, you know, ridiculously successful season, uh, you know, certainly by sort of, uh, you know, recent Italian standards, uh, you know, on the on the continental front, certainly in the Champions League. So, you know, this is a big opportunity for, for both sides, uh, you know, and just fingers crossed that they can play to, you know, the the best of their strengths, uh, you know, across all three of those games, because it's really shaping up to be a fan fascinating couple of weeks. I think that this tie intrigues me for a multitude of reasons. When you look at just the Syria campaign, agree with what everyone's saying. It's Napoli's title, pretty much one hand on the trophy, maybe one additional pinky from the opposite hand on the trophy. But when I look at how these two teams match up, the last five matchups that they've had, the away team has won all of them. 
So if you're Milan, you would take that and like your chances, given that you're going to face a familiar opponent. Olivier Giroud, from the Milan standpoint, he enjoys playing against Napoli. He scored in the last two matchups. I think in the fall when they played, Giroud scored the lone goal for Milan. But Napoli, they played without Victor Osimhen. They still got goals off the bench. Simeone, when he was in that rich goal-scoring form, filled the gaps that they needed. That's the strength of this Napoli team. It's next man up mentality. You know that Osimhen, you know that Cavada are going to be kind of your goal sources, but the rest of the team has stepped up when called upon. For AC Milan, it is very tricky because if you lose momentum in the Champions League, if you get knocked out, if you lose momentum in the league, we've seen a really kind of barren spell in March. And I think that's come down to the focus on the Champions League. This is a Milan team that does not have the depth to compete on both fronts, I don't think. I think that they would be looking over their shoulders. If they don't cash in on the Champions League, which would be very difficult for them to do, they'd be looking over their shoulders because they're embroiled in a top four race of the ages. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about that top four race. I mean, you could make a case for maybe anywhere up to fourth down to eighth being in the race. In fourth place, we do have AC Milan clinging on for dear life after a slow start to 2023 that has sort of picked up of late to, uh, you know, a few wins. Roma in hot pursuit, Atalanta, Juventus as well. And mm. I mean, one of the intriguing things that we can see there as well, look, that Juventus goal difference, you know, the the, uh, the the 15 point deduction that was placed on them, that was supposed to kill off any hope of, of them qualifying for the Champions League. That was the reason why it was so severe to keep them out of Europe. And yet Max Allegri's side are, are really motoring up the league table. Um, Mike, come back straight, straight back to you. That, is it fe feasible that Juventus could do that? I mean, it's not just, I think, the number of points to make up. Seven isn't unimaginable, but there's a lot of bodies in between them. Equally, you know, that goal difference there, we, as we can see, 23 as opposed to Milan's eight, that is an extra point at this stage of the season. Absolutely. This is Juventus team that, remember at the start of the season, it was panic stations, panic at the full disco. I mean, it was disarray. You had injury problems with transfers that came in. You had potential managerial sacking. You had the stuff with the board, you capital gains. I mean, it was just a fiasco. Now there's a settled period. They're getting the right players healthy at the right time. And really, Angel Di Maria, this guy bringing that touch of class, bringing that next level sort of play, the creator, Chiesa, back healthy and back amongst the goals and assists. And Dusan Vlahovic, this guy enjoyed a very good international break or national week with Serbia, and he will look to continue to bring his goals back to Serie A form. This is a team that I don't think many Serie A teams outside of Napoli want to play. I love Mike's rant, James, don't you? All, all Mike had to say is between Juventus, Atlanta and Rome <laughs> and all that, Juventus probably have the better squad. They have the better talented squad yeah. between all those teams and now they're getting back healthy. They should really do it. And is Jose Mourinho's time at Roma, is it coming to another stale finish? That's all I'm going to say. But I mean, I, th I think Roma are quite a good team and, you know, the, the underlying metrics have them as one of the top four comfortably. And Serie A, but I think there's this thing with Mourinho where it's it's a little bit too cautious. The too comfortable with one nil suddenly become one alls. But James, and I think that is the difference. It's what that you know, James. Though it's what you've seen from Mourinho teams. We've all seen it. He's not changed his style. He never will change his style. They'll be difficult to beat. They'll grind out results. They're going under the radar. You know, I think that's the problem because you look at how Napoli play compared to how. Roma play, it's like night and day. It's two completely different approaches to football. Well, that's how Mourinho's always been. Mourinho's a bit of a difficult relationship. He doesn't make it easy for you, which is kind of like 
our relationship with working with Michael? Oh, he's still, he's still, he's still, he's still got Roma in the Europa League quarterfinals, though. That's, I mean, thank you, know, you, for, that. Thank you for yeah, hitting he that. actually had two pieces of European silverware in consecutive seasons. So hey, it's not, not taking, maybe as I'm bad as it's being made out to be. Listen, no. I'm not taking anything away from him, but it's just it's what we're used to. That's what I'm saying. It's what we're used to from his teams. Let's be real. He's no, I, I, I mean, some, some people so can good. palate it. Some people can't palate it. That's all I'm saying. I think a big difference with this Roma side, the goals of Tammy Abraham. <laughs> that's the big difference. Tammy Abraham, not the same Tammy Abraham as last season. And that's typical for strikers under Jose, Jose Mourinho. If your name is not Dide Jagra, it's so hard to be consistent in the way he asks you to defend, in the way he asks you to play on both sides of the ball. This Roma team is still set up for cup competition, JJ, and I'm glad you hit on that because they're doing a bit all right in that. Yeah. Yes, they are. But equally, as you know, as Nigel was saying, this is a team that's capable of sort of losing to Cremonese, the mm. only team all season in Serie A to have lost to Cremonese. I mean, briefly, if we wrap this up with a look at the bottom, we know Cremonese are gone. They're 11 points from safety with 11 games in which to make up that gap. Sampdoria as well, European finalists, one of the great teams of the 1990s. They have an almighty task on their hands if they're to make up a nine-point gap. And, you know, Spezia... I've looked very strong. It looks like it's all done and dusted there. Could Verona possibly drag Spezia, Salernitana and Lecce and Empoli in? We shall see. But look, everything is to play for in Serie A. It's going to be a fantastic end to the season there. When we come back from our break, we're going to talk some Premier League. And there is plenty. I mean, that is a relegation race and a half. We'll talk about that and a few other things after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Premier League, the great title race, maybe outside of Germany. It is all to play for. Arsenal go into the run-in, having played one game more, but with eight points advantage over Manchester City. And everything is building up to that clash at the Etihad late next month. Before then, Arsenal face Leeds at home uh, before going to Anfield the following week. Manchester City, however, start the Premier League uh, final, the run-in, whatever you want to call it at home to Liverpool on Saturday. JJ, where's this heading? Does the fact that Arsenal have just the Premier League to focus on, is that the swing factor that could potentially win them the title? 
I mean, I do think it's uh, it's an advantage. <clears throat> I mean, I think it's been quite interesting seeing what's happened in the international break over the last week or so. Obviously, we know that Holland, uh, you know, had to drop out uh, of of being on international duty with Norway. So there is that feeling, sort of, that he's been, uh, you know, sort of looking after himself for that run in uh, with City. But it is, you know, I do think it is an advantage, uh, you know, for for Arsenal, given that you know City have to go up against Bayern in the Champions League. That's going to be a very difficult double header, especially now that Thomas Tuchel is in charge at Bayern instead of Nagelsmann. Uh, you know, they've got the, the FA Cup still to play for as well, where they have Sheffield United in the semis. So, uh, you know, I definitely think that there is, um, you know, greater potential for, for City to sort of come unstuck a little bit in the fixture congestion than there is, yeah. uh, you know, for Arsenal. But equally at the same time, uh, you know, this is sort of the the time of year where, you know, the pressure is really starting to get on. There's no real margin for error left anymore. Uh, and in that respect, you know, I guess City have a bit of an edge because they're used to it, uh, you know, season in, season out for the last couple of years. Uh, so, you know, I do think there's different ways of looking at it. But, you know, for sure, I think there's definitely an advantage for Arsenal given the games that City have coming up. There's only one way to look at it. It's Arsenal's Premier League title to throw away. It's just that simple. It's, it's not rocket science. It's Arsenal's to throw away. That's what it is. I think with City again, they would love to win the Premier League. And I feel that they're putting a, probably as much emphasis in the Premier League as the Champions League because I personally feel that Pep Guardiola does not feel his side is good enough to win the Champions League. So if he doesn't win the Champions League, I feel that he has to win the Premier League. So they have to go for both, really and truly. And the reality of it is, with the squad that they have and the money that they've spent and the players that they have, there's no reason why they should not be competing for both, in, in my honest opinion. But I think that Arsenal do have the advantage in the sense of, obviously, not in Europe no more. This can be their main fo focus. And I don't think any Arsenal fan could have come out from the start of the season to say that we're going to win the Premier League. I think Arsenal fans would have been happy with a top four finish. That would have been progression. But what Mikel Arteta has done from beyond just a top four to building and to showing, and when I talk about this, I'm already picturing, picturing what I've seen from Arsenal this season, the togetherness, the belief, the attitude that Mikel Arteta has installed in this squad. It's it's unbelievable. And it's great credit to him. I think that there's not one, like, I don't know, There's not. Is it, would any Arsenal fan have believed they can win the Premier League title from the start of the season? No. Absolutely not. Exactly. No. So I think no. for me, it's Arsenal's to throw away, and that's uh, how I kind of look at it. I, I think we have to bear in mind that's a it's a it's a much tougher fixture list that Arsenal have. Not only do they yeah. have to go to Anfield, they have to go to St James's Park. They've got Brighton coming to visit. They've got Chelsea coming to yeah. visit. Actually, if you look at Man City's, it's a little bit more favourable. Of course, both teams. It is, but James, heard. and that's I mean that's the game that will decide it, isn't it? But James, that's the thing you put in in the mentality in the dressing room. Every game from now to the end of the season is a cup final. That's mm -hmm. it. There's yeah. no. I mean, there's they no say other that all the time. Yeah, but I know, you, but you there's no the other distractions. That's the thing. It's different if you have other distractions. I think those players could probably mm. be a lot more focused than they're right. This is it. This is all. We, every league game for us is a cup final, and I think it's easier to manage that than having the distraction of European competition or maybe being in the Champions League or other kind of distractions. So. It's theirs to lose.
Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I'll just be quick on this point because I think we've we've pretty much said everything there is to say about these two teams. From an Arsenal standpoint, what I love is you see the winning mentality that's been forged from the Mikel Arteta's time at Manchester City, from the Gabriel Jesus, from the Zinchenkos. Jesus hasn't been out, but you're getting Jesus back at a very crucial time where his just sheer presence on the field, the recruitment, the balance, there's just a Cinderella run to what could be one of just the best stories of the last couple of seasons since Leicester City in the Premier League, I think. Right. I can't stand talking about Arsenal. <laughs> no, that's why I said it. <laughs> Let's talk top four. And I'm going to fly around all of you and we'll get some whips fast answers from all of you on the top four race. Mike Lahoud, quickly, Manchester United, three points clear of Newcastle in fifth. Suddenly, it wasn't as as it once did. But do you feel like United are already there? I think that they're one foot in there. I think that the fact that Tottenham Hotspurs, I'm not even looking at Spurs now because of the fiasco that's happening there. I think it's between United, Newcastle, and Brighton for that top four finish. This Newcastle game will tell me all I need to know about how it's going to go. You have to get three points or just take points away from Newcastle. This snappy, snappy, snappy. I want snap. I want fizz. Yeah. Oh, I'm coming to Nigel Rio Coca. <laughs> it's between Newcastle and Brighton to finish in that top four spins. So Space. Spurs are, Spurs are gone. You think Spurs there's, there's too go. much chaos? Yeah. JJ, let's talk Newcastle and Liverpool. I think we've, we, I want to ask everyone else about Brighton as well. But hmm. can Newcastle score enough goals and can Liverpool keep enough clean sheets? I mean, I think uh, Newcastle are definitely well-placed uh, to do this. I mean, look, also look at the fact that there's two games in hand for both Newcastle and Liverpool over Spurs. So, you know, if we factor in that, you know, chaos that we're expecting uh, at Spurs... I definitely think that there is an opportunity for one of those two to overtake them, possibly even both. But for me, I mean, I, I think it'll be tight, but I do think Newcastle still have a good chance of overtaking Spurs there. I'm, I'm with Nigel Rioka. I think the correct answer to this is actually that Brighton are going to finish in the top four. They've got the best midfield of any they, team yeah. from third down. Karen Matoma is a wonderful player. Three games in hand over Spurs. Hugely underrated, and they've got three games in hand. The only thing I think that might stop them winning it is if they win the FA Cup. Mm. Quickly, well, actually, we've got a little bit of time, and I'd like to give this a bit of time. Uh, I'd like to talk about the relegation fight, and this is an absolute bun fight. I I, I think when you look at the table, effectively, Aston Villa and Chelsea are the only teams with nothing to play for this season. Crystal Palace, 27. Wolves, 27. Leeds, Everton, Nottingham Forest, all on 26. Leicester, 25. Nigel Rio Coker, though. What has happened to West Ham? 24 points. We talked talk in January about whether they were too good to go down. No, there's it no such like thing. we have the answer to that. There's no such thing because we always talk about that season that West Ham got relegated with the likes of Jermaine Defoe, Joe Cole, and all those players that they had. They were too good to go down. It happens. It happens, and I can speak from someone who's experienced a relegation fight. I must say, in the history of the Premier League, I have never seen a relegation battle from 20th to 12th position. It's always been at least from 20th to maybe 15 and 14 out of it, but to 12th position and how tight it is, this is unbelievable. This is probably the biggest relegation battle in the history of the Premier League. And Nigel Rio Coca knows relegation battles. He's been in enough. All right, all right, James. All right, enough. Been there twice. All right, James. I get it. I get it. All right. Do you know that Villa was scrapping for Europe when Nigel was playing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you, James. Um, no, I think for me, West Ham. It's it's again. It's it's so much that goes on in football management. New players have come in. They haven't had the impact has been expected. 
Uh, I still feel they're, they're suffering from a bit of a hangover from their European journey of last season. And it's a difficult thing to manage. That's the reality. You know, their performances in the Premier League haven't been great. And that's the worrying thing. Because when you look at relegation battles and stuff like that with all these teams, you have to look at the performances. You know, they might not win a game or two. It might be close, but you've got to look at the performances. The performances tell you a lot. For me, a couple of weeks ago, I thought Southampton would be dead and buried. But now the performances they're putting under the new manager, it's a different topic. You can't look at Southampton to say that they're guaranteed to go down. I think that anything can happen from now till the end of the season. You know, I think one team that maybe could probably get out of it, or, well, a few teams that could get out of it, I think, again, you can't even say Leicester are too good. I think, for me, Wolves, Leeds' performances have been good. Everton with Sean Dice in there, I think, are going to be a different kettle of fish. Crystal Palace with Roy Hudson coming in with his experience and his style, I think they could maybe squeak out of it, but... I worry for the rest. You don't think Palace could drop down into it with Hodgson? I don't think so. I think Roy Hodgson will make them difficult to beat. The difference between Roy Hodgson and Patrick Vera, in my opinion, is Patrick Vera was going to play to win games. Roy Hodgson's not going to go and play to win games. He's going to be hard to beat, grind out, nil-nil, and those points will add up to make a difference. That's the difference because Patrick Vieira came to play expansive football. You're going to see Palace going back to grinding, hard to beat. That's the management style and they'll nick one or two games where they win one nil i'm gonna jump in here and this is one for the usmnt audience i wonder what impact tyler adams being out for the next couple of weeks is going to have on that Leeds midfield because it is a big big loss for them uh you know obviously they have uh you know mckenny but when he steps in that sets up the midfield in a very different way our our very own chuck booth has written a very interesting piece uh, on the potential ramifications both for Leeds and the usmnt so i'd advise people to go and read that afterwards but that is the kind of loss that could see Leeds drop uh, you know close to that bottom three and that's not where you want to be when you've got some of the games that they have uh you know coming up that's it's a pretty testing run they've got in the next few weeks and it's not ideal as well when you've got a new coach in charge in uh, Javi Gracia, uh, you know, trying to sort of work out what his best 11 is when you're, you know, stuck in, you know, what is essentially a, a, a bit of a, a dogfight now. Oh, excuse me. My uh, neighbor across the street is saying that Nigel Coker expletive, expletive, expletive. So I had to put it on mute before coming back. <laughs> but no, I, I'm looking at Leicester City there. This is this is going to be an interesting finish. I, I look at their schedule. I look at the fact that they play a lot of the teams that they're in the run-in against. The recent result against Brentford, a 1-1 draw, that showed me that there's still a little bit of fight in this Leicester City team. But it's when are we going to see that fight week in and week out? That's the big question mark. James Madison, you know, he's been their bright spot. Harvey Barnes on his day could be a factor. I just don't know if there's enough quality still left in this Leicester team to stay up. They are my biggest question mark in this bottom three finish in this relegation battle. Their last three games are very crucial. Liverpool, I think, um, I can't think of their second to last game, but they finish up with West Ham. I think if they're still in a relegation <laughs> battle against yeah. West Ham, that will be the game to watch. Mark my words, that will be the game to watch. And I real coker, West Ham versus Leicester City. Mike, let's stick with you. Pick your three to go down. Ooh, Bournemouth, Southampton, and Leicester City. JJ? You know what? I'm actually tempted to go similarly, but I'm going to say that Southampton finished top of the bottom three and Bournemouth finished bottom. So that would put Leicester between the two. 
Nigel? Bournemouth for sure. I think West Ham. And I would have to say, I would have to say Southampton. I think how that three is. I'm going to wrap us off here. I think we do all seem to agree that that Southampton and Bournemouth... Actually, no. No, I'm going to put Bournemouth. Bournemouth bottom. I'm going to put Forest. I'm not entirely sold on them. And I think there has to be one too big to go down team, doesn't there? And by God, Nigel, you're right. That's uh, Mike, you're right. You've seen them, James. You've seen West Ham play this season. So you can give an insight on the performances. So I'm telling you, it's it's hard. (laughs) They, they, they play okay and then just throw it away. And so do Leicester. And I'm just thinking, who are more likely to do that on the final day? I'm going to have to say West Ham because it would be so West Ham for that to happen. And there's other ulterior motives behind that, James. I know, it's okay. <laughs> I want them to stay up. I am, You know, Nigel, I am in You don't want them to stay up. It would be very difficult for a certain team to get a certain person. So Look, Declan Rice is going down. either way, isn't he? To be, yeah. to be honest, we need as little claret and blue vermin as possible to rival with Villa. So we've already got Burnley, we've already got Burnley coming up from the championship. I, I'd quite welcome the hammers going down. Look, I am firmly of the view that we need as many clubs from London in the Premier League as possible because I don't want to travel any further than I have to. <laughs> right. After the break, we are going to talk Thomas Tuchel and the Bundesliga title race. And we will also begrudgingly talk a little bit about La Liga. That's right after the break. Seeing a lot of love for Bournemouth in the uh, relegation zone, Southampton as well, Amy Carter-Terra, Leicester Bournemouth Forest, Vic, Southampton, Leeds and Bournemouth. If you want to see slightly higher quality football than is involved in the Premier League relegation squad, well, you don't need to miss a single second of the greatest club competitions on earth, the Champions League and Europa League. Follow the biggest stars from the world of soccer, Karim Benzema, Victor Ozymen, Erling Haaland, Marcus Rashford and Angel Di Maria as they try to clinch continental glory. Stream every match from the Champions League and Europa League live only on Paramount+. Plus. Try one month free with promo code ADVANCE. And look, that Champions League is going to have a Champions League winner back in it at the helm of Bayern Munich. Thomas Tuchel is back, in my opinion, quite possibly the best manager in world football. Yeah, I'll say it. What that man did for Chelsea really does propel him to the highest echelon. And he is arriving at just the right moment to prove his case. Nigel Rio Coca, you don't look entirely sold on my uh, affection. No, I, I am Thomas sold. I'm just, I'm sold. I'm I mean, just it should be said, not only did he win the Champions League, he also managed Chelsea through this impossible situation where they had no money. They didn't even know how they'd be getting to games. Uh, I'm really looking forward to him vindicating himself against his former club. Wait, go on, Nigel. Let's see. Before you move on, I'm just going to ask you a question. Then, does that mean that Bayern Munich are favourites to win the Champions League? Uh, (laughs) No, because their players aren't quite as good as Man City's. But you know, if I were picking a, I don't think they are. I guarantee you, if City had to play PSG in the last round, PSG would have beaten City. Guarantee you. I just Paris Saint-Germain would have beaten City. I don't see that. I think we kind of. Like there's such a con- ability to control games in that in that city midfield. I mean, Bayern have it too. Mike, I'm going to come to you. Uh, De Classica on the yeah. horizon. Bayern against Dortmund, and um, we have to say, like this Dortmund team, as much as they were disappointing in exiting the Champions League against Chelsea, they've really come out of nowhere. And 
by God, the rarest of sights in all the Bundesliga, in all of Germany. We have a title race and it's Borussia Dortmund that are leading it with 25 matches played. And I, I just, I love this. It's time for a new narrative in the German Bundesliga. Bayern Munich recently put another star because they've been that dominant in their domestic league. The time is now for a new champion, Borussia Dortmund. For them to scale the heights, they have to overcome their biggest conquest yet in Bayern. The difference could be which players are healthy. Jamal Musiala going in the international break with Germany, maybe a, little, a, a muscle spasm or muscle injury. That could be a big X factor for Bayern in a matchup that he has played well in as of late. For Borussia Dortmund, the question mark over Adeyemi, is he back in training? Is he going to be fit? He, with his pace, could trouble Bayern on the outside. It's going to be one hell of a matchup. I think that it's going to come down to depth off the bench. If Bayern, through Saidu Mane, look at the spoiled riches that they have. I mean, there's times where Leroy Sané doesn't even start for this Bayern team. Serge Gnabry at times. I think that sort of depth could be the thing that tips it back in their favor. But when a new manager comes in, there's a lot of uncertainty in how Bayern Munich will roll out in this first matchup. But also, if you think about it and you, you read about the stuff that's contributed towards Nagelsmann being replaced, and surely Thomas Tuchel is going to be a breath of fresh air for them. You know, those players are going to have a lot more confidence in somebody like Tuchel, a, a proven Champions League winner, uh, you know, than the young up and coming Nagelsmann. And don't get me wrong, uh, you know, I rate Nagelsmann as one of the best young tacticians in Europe. You know, but was it maybe a bit too much to expect him to be able to control a dressing room with some really big characters like the Bayern want? I think so. And I think Tuchel is a good fit now for that. You know, Bayern have obviously learned from the past where they got beaten to Tuchel by PSG a couple of years ago. They've now got him in, uh, you know, at the right time. Because at the end of the day, if they win this, they're back in control of the title race. You know, it's a very fine margin at the top of the Bundesliga right now with just that one point separating them. Uh, you know, Union Berlin and Freiburg, uh, you know, dropping off a bit, Leipzig as well. Uh, so for me, uh, you know, I think that Thomas Tuchel is there to sort of reassert uh, you know, Bayern's credentials, not just in the Bundesliga, but also in the Champions League. And I think it's the worst possible news for somebody like Guardiola, uh, you know, ahead of that Champions League matchup to see, uh, you know, one of the best tacticians in Europe, uh, you know, coming up against him suddenly because City would have definitely fancied knocking Bayern Munich out until that change was made this international break. Well, as James says, in Tuchel, we trust. Um, I'll put a bow on it. There isn't really a title race in the German league. Let's be real. Bayern Munich are going to win the title. I'll put money on it. I'll put a bottle of... Oh. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Can I give you my address? Thomas... Oh, I gave you your time. I gave you your time. Okay. okay. Thomas Tuchel, as James said, is one of the best managers in world football. He has a presence in a dressing room, which Nagelsmann didn't have. He's going to go in there with a presence and an aura, which plays a part in when a manager comes into a dressing room, especially a dressing room of that magnitude with those egos, you need a big character manager. That is what Thomas Tuchel will bring into that dressing room. And I feel with him being at Bayern Munich, also because of his name and his reputation, I feel he'll be able to attract other players who may not have been even considering Bayern Munich to go to Bayern Munich. I think he has that presence and that mindset to control and get attract other players to go there. But for me... He's what, what, does it, what, what does it what does it mean for like <laughs> what does it mean for a Cancelo though as well? For example, you know, mm. he looked like a weird fit under Nagelsmann. I'm sure Thomas Tuchel is going to be rubbing his hands at the possibility of having him. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And that's, I, I think that he is the perfect fit of what Bayern Munich needed. I think it's a manager with character, manager with presence and aura, and other players would want to go to Bayern Munich to play for him. There's already links with Mason Mount going there. Mm-hmm. I think that Bayern Munich are going to win the league title. Let's not act like it's a race. Come on, Bayern Munich squad compared to Dortmund. You said it yourself, Michael. Sane can't even get on a starting lineup. Mane hasn't even been playing. They've got an abundance of talent. They're well well, they were a well-coached team and I think they're going to be an even better coach team now. And again, from when I started, I always said that Bayern Munich, Real Madrid are one of the favourites for me to win this year's Champions League. They're the two favourites, the old staple diet. I think the outsiders for me is Napoli and maybe Benfica. So, Ed, there you go. You were asking in the comments, is the Bundesliga going back to how it was in the 2000s? Actually competitive. Nigel Rio Coker has very much answered that question and I have to agree with him. I mean, the best case scenario is that, that Dortmund put up a fight. And certainly in the long term, no, it's not. Because you know what's going to happen to Borussia Dortmund this summer. The same thing that happens to Borussia Dortmund every summer. They're going to sell their best player in Jude Bellingham. Right, quickly, Liga and La Liga. I want to start with La Liga, Mike Lahoud, because we have two powerhouses of the Spanish game really fighting for their lives. Now, with Valencia, I think we, we've kind of got used to this a little bit. The financial troubles have been there for so long that they've kind of had to accept being a mid-table team and a lower mid-table team. And this is where they are. But Mike LaHood, what is going on at Sevilla? I mean, and oh. they're still going to win the Europa League though, anyway, aren't <laughs> no, don't you? Don't you dare you know start with that. Come on. I've been having nightmares about this because uh, I am very troubled about Sevilla when it comes to the Europa League. I think that this is just mayday, mayday for this club. And I almost, you almost have to rub your eyes in disbelief to see where they're at. I mean, they, they recently sacked their manager in Sao Paulo who got them out of their woes and got them in a run in the Europa League. So that tells you that all is even worse at a club like Sevilla. And it, it looks even worse. The fact that Real Betis is having the success they've had in the last season or so winning Copa del Rey last year and still hovering around that top four place. For Sevilla, it's gotten a bit stale. I think on the field, they have too many of the same players. You do have the goals of El Nesri, who is a player that they should look to sell, or if not, someone will come in with a good offer, performed at the World Cup, and has performed this season. He's been a bright spot in front of goal. But in midfield, at the back, it's all gone stale. Players that have been there for a while, I just don't see it. But more so with Valencia, I am more worried about Valencia. My neighbor is. That's why he's humming his hacksaw, because I think that they could go down this season. Be good for you, good for Eunice Musa, though, wouldn't it? Get out of there and uh, get to a, a, one of the many top teams that are coveting him. Yes, That's please. enough La Liga. We all know I don't like talking about La Liga. It's boring. Barcelona are going to win the title there, of course, as well. JJ, I want to talk about Liga, and you, you know that you need to convince Nigel and I to talk about Liga most of the time. And look, we're not talking about PSG. It's only a seven-point lead at the top of Liga, which... Um, it's not great for a, for a team like them. You would expect them to be parading the trophy but around now. But really, JJ, for me, what's interesting, we've got Marseille on 59 points, Lens on 57, Monaco 54, Ran on 50, Lille 49. There's a real race for top four here, isn't there? That, that should be quite fun. Top three, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, pretty high stakes, especially when you consider that Nice are the only club left uh, in European competition this season with the Europa Conference League, which everybody in France has their fingers crossed that they can make a deep run in. 
uh, because it matters so much for the UEFA coefficient. But it's a, it's a really interesting return to Ligue 1 action this weekend because you've got Marseille, Montpellier. Montpellier have won five of their last six games in the game coming back on uh, on Friday night with when Ligue 1 uh, gets back underway after the international break. And then it's PSG Lyon this weekend. Now, that is the kind of game that could trip PSG up. So if Marseille can suddenly cut the gap on them before that game, then potentially, uh, you know, we do have uh, a title race back on our hands. But I do agree with you. I think that realistically, it's more interesting to look at that race for European qualification at the moment. You know, it's very fine margins between Marseille and Lens. Tricky game, as I said, for for OM uh, on Friday against mm-hmm. Montpellier, which Lens will be hopeful, uh, you know, could see them, uh, you know, leapfrog them into second place this weekend because they have been in much better form than they have uh, been in uh, recent months. Monaco, it's usual for them uh, to sort of be accelerating around this time of year and going up the table. Rennes have just been dealt a big, big blow, uh, losing Adrien Truffert until the end of the season. Lille still looking fairly decent and solid under Paolo Fonseca and Nice, a bit like Reims, uh, you know, excelling under their uh, temporary bosses, uh, Didier Digard and Will Still. So plenty to like about what's going on in France right now. And, uh, you know, just fingers crossed, we do, uh, you know, have the that tension, that needle uh, right up until the end of the season in terms of the European qualification spots. JJ, with just only a handful of weeks remaining in the remainder of the league on season, who are some teams that could pay or play party spoilers in this league? I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's a number of teams who perhaps don't have that much to play for. I mean, Lyon, uh, you know, nine points off of any European place at this moment in time, really, really struggling. Yet we know the quality that they have that comes out of that academy. Montpellier as well, who I mentioned, you know, they're now far enough away from the relegation zone to not be too worried about it, but equally too far adrift to realistically get themselves in the reckoning. But like I said, five wins from six, Michel Dezakarian back at the helm, that you know, those two teams, I think particularly, uh, you know, could play party spoilers for some of these, uh, you know, clubs looking to get themselves into Europe. Lorient as well, losing ground in the race for Europe, but still a difficult team to beat on their day. JJ, last one for me, quick one. I'm going to take it in a different direction. Obviously, you're watching a lot of Liga and everything. How um, excited or how good is it really for France, the national team? with all the young players obviously being produced in the league and all the young talent coming through, how much of that do you think is going to help France basically dominate an international level for a long time? Because I've just recently done something else where I said, for me, I'm scared about France because the amount of talent that they're producing consistently, a lot of them already gone abroad. But then again, now Ligue 1, there's a lot still playing. How um, helpful has it been for the French national team and how good are the French national team should look for years to come? I mean, I think the you know the French national team are probably as well set as anybody uh, in the world game at this moment in time. When you look ahead, you know you look at that that quality and depth. Some of the players that are still playing in the under twenty ones because there's just that much uh, you know quality ahead of them. You look at some of the the really uh, you know promising young players who have been added to that senior setup recently. The likes of Todibo, uh, Kefren Turam as well. Uh, you know it's a it's a really exciting time for France. I think moving on from the likes of Hugo Lloris, bringing in Mike Mignon. You can't say that that was a downgrade. What an incredible save that was against Ireland the other day. Uh, You know, and then you look at that defense as well. People 
people thought that, you know, Rafael Varane would be missed uh, after the World Cup. But then when you've got Upamecano and Konate, you know, forming that very solid central defensive partnership, there's no real positions of worries for France, except arguably uh, in the fullback positions where there's not that much strength in depth. Uh, you know, I think we can, uh, you know, say that the jury is still out on the likes of Benjamin Pavard and Jules Koundé playing at right back. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic headache to have when you're Didier Deschamps if you're playing, you know, these 100 million euro rated players in, uh, you know, out of position because you can't would, accommodate them in their natural role. Would Deschamps be willing to swap like Rico Lewis for Saliba? Can do that? <laughs> Seems like it would work quite well. Yeah. We'll take Saliba. I, mean, like, <laughs> I know you To be honest, Ni- Nigel's raised actually a really interesting point though because I was reading the other day that basically... There is, I mean, I'm not going to say it's like a rule, but it's like a guideline that's mm. coming from the French Football Federation now that they want to see more clubs try to turn some of their talented young players, especially the wide ones, into fullbacks because it is that much of a problem. Having really quality left and right backs, uh, you know, like I said, Truffert mm. out until the end of the season for Rennes, for example, he's the kind of guy that I think many hopes will be attached to in the future because he could be a fit uh, in that left back role. Right back has been particularly problematic over the years, hence why we've seen somebody like a Pavard and, and Jules Koundé being sort of, you know, redeployed, uh, you know, in that role, despite not really having the natural attributes to do it. So that's definitely a, a sort of subplot to watch with this French national team over the coming months, how they, uh, you know, work out a way to have, you know, some real sort of options and strength in depth in those areas. Let me just jump in quickly, James. I was just going to say for me, when I, when I look at the French national team and the players that they've got and the players, the young players coming through, it's worrying. It reminds me of the good old days of back in the day of the Brazilian squad, where it's just a never-ending factory. And I think for me, I give credit to the French. They've really tapped into it and they've got an abundance of talent. And I think with the defensive thing that you said, JJ, it's just coaching. It can be done. It can be done to coach these kids to play. And especially in that full-back role, it's not something that's hard. It's also having good coaches who can identify players who could probably play in that role and understanding them to understand the game at that level. But it's scary for what the French have got going on. So, so, so like Giroud is like France's equivalent of Fred, <laughs> the guy that always managed to get into the Brazil squad despite never really being able hey, to understand it. Hey, <laughs> Fred this, hey, Fred this season. Fred this season has been different. Fred this season is Not been... that Fred. You've got the wrong yeah. Fred there, Mike. Oh, the other Fred. Oh, Fred with hair. Oh, the, Fred with hair. Got it. Fred always linked to Tottenham, Fred, I believe. Yes. Is his, is his full name. That's his birthday. Right, before we go too deep into Euro 2024 and planning out that England-France matchup, please let it be the final. <laughs> let it be the final in Germany. Quarter um, I think we need, to, uh, we need to call it a day there. But don't worry, we'll be back again on Monday morning and we'll recap the weekend's actions and pit Fabrizio Romano's brains over all things transfers. I'm sure if anyone knows of a talented young French right-back, uh, it'll be Fabrizio. So you can join us then. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening to House of Champions. Please, please take a minute to leave us a rating and review on your favourite podcast platform because we're on all of them. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you're going to find us. And we're also available on YouTube as a video. You can subscribe to us over there. House of Champions will be back next week. Enjoy a phenomenal week of, of league football. God, it's so good. It's back. Finally, thanks to JJ, thanks to Mike, and thanks to Nigel for joining us. We'll see you again very soon. Bye-bye.